0: Hey, Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warned You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy and Sales Gravy University. Just a reminder, as usual, you want to up that sales level game, you need to go check out salesgravy.university. But let's get on with the show. And I love how much I love bringing back people from the past. And that's what I've been doing this year, kind of rotating people in, past guests, past co-hosts, fractional co-hosts, recovering co-hosts, Lost co-host. And today people have been asking me what happened to that English girl. People want to know English girl that (laughs) what, What happened to that English girl, Susanna Gray Jones? Well, she's here today to tell us what happened to her and why she disappeared. Nope. I did not fire her. She quit me. It's not I don't want to say it's a reflection of me that I've been quit on. I've been quit on by Rachel twice and quit on by Susanna Gray-Jones, but all with good in, all with good reasons. And Susanna's here to explain herself. I'm here to rescue Gina from the impoding
1: doom of her reputation. No, well, first of all, just to let you know, I'm so offended by the way that Gina in- impersonated my English accent that I just could not come back. <laughs> but on a serious note, once you've had Gina in your life, you, kind of, you can't keep coming back. You can't <laughs> stop coming back. So... I, I had a little bit of a health scare last year, which got me thinking a lot about life and what was important, and time and how precious it was, how much we have an adventure ahead of us in our lives. And we are the architects of that, right? We are the people who choose what happens next. So I made a choice. I'm okay, by the way. I'm not dying, just to put it out there. <laughs> I'm absolutely I'm fine. But I made the decision to move to Middle East and that is where I am now. I live in Dubai, which is very exciting. So yeah.
0: Well, I'm so happy to hear that health issues are fine. You and I were talking about this just before um, we started recording. I had a, a little health issue scare. I'm not dying either, but it's those moments in time that do happen for us that come up that we don't want to really think about them, especially when we're fine. We're not thinking about what could go wrong or, or sometimes we're not focused enough on preventative things. But a health scare or a health concern always puts things in perspective of why we're on this earth. And if you're on this earth just to work, I feel sad for you because I don't think that's what we're here for is just to work, right? There's so much more to that. So you you left the UK and went to Dubai. So there's so much to unpack with this because I want to talk about change, change in your personal life, change in business, because a lot of things changed. But first, I want, because I'm just generally curious, why Dubai?
1: Why Dubai? Do you want the cultural answer or do you want the shallow answer? Which one do you want? Can I have both of them? <laughs> well, basically, anyone who's been to Dubai knows that you can live a pretty awesome life over here, right? Everything is simple from the fact that I wanted to get a blow dry the other day and you get someone to come around the house and do it for you to the fact that business is booming Everything You're surrounded by entrepreneurial types, people who are here for a reason and they are top of their game for a reason. And recruitment is booming over here. I recruit recruiters. It just seems like a natural fit. And my husband is in construction. He loves buildings and stuff to the point that it's actually quite scary. We'll be having a nice chat and like nice glass of wine and we'll be like, look at that building. And then he won't talk to me for the whole evening. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a great fit. And if anyone's listening to this and they haven't been to Dubai, oh my gosh, you have to go. It's just a lovely place in the sense of so you and so thinking forward and great for families too. Mm.
0: Had you been to Dubai before you did this move?
1: Yeah, for my honeymoon. You know what? Okay, I hated it because as a place to relax and have a holiday, you think honeymoon, Maldives, put your feet out and it wasn't like that. It's much more of a business thriving city. Everyone here comes from a different place and has a different story. It's very much the East meets the West. So when you're near, yeah, you want to be busy, right? It's not somewhere where you put your feet up and just you can, but it's very much business booming, happening, and if you're ambitious, oh my gosh, so, now Yeah.
0: I Now, when you um, made that des- decision and you did the move, I started, I was very curious. So I started researching. Yeah, I was curious on expats in Dubai, and it was one of the one of the most popular cities for people leaving the UK to go to Dubai. What other business advantages are there for you? If you can talk about those,
1: of course. Well, until recently, there's been no tax. There is now a very small tax, but you can, if you're smart, you can save a lot of money over here, especially if you set up your business over here, be it two, three years, you people who are very, it's hard to be smart. You can spend so much money out here, but if you are and you're really disciplined, you can come back and buy beautiful houses and all the rest. So. I told you there was a cultural reason, there was a shallow reason. That is a shallow reason. <laughs> okay. Um, so, and also for our children, they are living an incredible life out here. They are the school, their childcare, everything is just so beautiful and you will be part of a beach club. We spent the last weekend just putting our feet up in a beach bar with the sun and music. It was just beautiful.
0: And they're playing. It's just, yeah, it's fabulous.
1: It, it is like a dream. But in the-
0: and I saw but, on LinkedIn. Okay, oh, go for the butt. Give me the butt.
1: You can show up and say something's a dream, but I can tell you that making this change is probably being one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, which it's crazy, right? Bad things happen to people die. People, All the things happen in this world. And for me, this has rocked me more than anything. anything.
0: Why? Why? What was hard?
1: Well... First of all, there's the stress, there's moving children across, there's moving business across, there's family, right? You spend all this time, I spent six months trying to plan moving and I've been learning a lot about change as part of this. And it's ironic really, because my whole job is trying to help people make changes. So I've learned so much about the different processes, how people feel and it's mad. We spend the whole six months, so there's a study on this that people are at their happiest when they're in the office the Friday before their big holiday and the measure of their happiness is higher on that Friday than it is when they're actually on that holiday. Sometimes we can build something up so much in our mind and with people who are emigrating and stuff like that there's a lot of study on the fact that when they actually arrive when they've made that change they then have to sort of depression time. And that's the kind of getting used to that time that's going sort of consolidating all of the excitement and facing the reality of it, right? Which, if you're not careful, you can have a knee-jerk reaction and in the same way with a new job, which you start. You can have knee-jerk reactions. This is all different. This is unknown. I'd go out of my deck and they can just move back. You move back to the old company or move back to the old country and it's the tough people who stick at it in and kind of really keep going and know that's going to happen, know that this is a normal response, who then get to the point of, okay, now I'm starting to appreciate this because you can't control that emotion that you get when you've made a big change.
0: That's really interesting. I've talked about this a few times over the years, and I I trace this back to a, a sermon I heard in church. Of course, I can find a Christian, a religious kind of tie back to this, the sermon was so poignant and it really stuck in my head. And the pastor talked about valleys and summits and our life is a series of valleys and summits. And so we reach a summit, right? We hit a goal and we're so excited and we've worked really hard to get there. And we get to the top of the summit. There we are at the peak. Yay, I did it. And then where you go from there? Well, You can go to the next summit if there is a next summit, but sometimes there's not a next summit because you're spending all your time planning that summit. And so the only place you can go is into the valley, right? Because there's nowhere to go. So you go into this valley and you dip in and that's where the depression sets in. And so if you think about every time you hit this big goal that you've been working towards, putting all your energy into it, you get there, you accomplished it, you don't see another summit, Because you didn't think about planning another one. So you go into the valley and you come down from the high, literally and figuratively. And now you're like, oh, no, what's now what? And so the sermon was, again, going to more of a, a Christian teaching, but we can apply this in anything. This is where you rest. You rest in the valley. You rest, you get your energy back, you replenish yourself, and you look up to the next summit. And you're like, okay. Now I'm going to rest and I'm going to prepare for the next trek to the next summit. So that. we often think of the valley as a bad place where the valley is really a place of rest and replenishment to get to the next place.
1: And it can be blissful in a kind of sweet, sad kind of way. I think I love the fact that you just referred to, and I'm also going to refer to something that I heard in so many years ago. It was about how, when we look back, Things make sense. But when we look forwards, everything's just really scary. And there's a really good quote that I'd love to share by Saren Kerricard, And it's might can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Ooh. Everything. Yeah. And everything, even nothing in life is all rosy. We put our Instagrams up. We show the flashy places and we show the, look at me having a nice cocktail on the beach. But actually, it can be hard. It it is great, beautiful, and it's all the amazing things and all those great feelings. But there is a toughness involved in that, and the minute that we just accept that and we say, "Well, this is going to be the process, and I need to be patient. And I can't control everything that happens." In the same way again, with a new role or a new job. Then we start to suddenly see the light and it's like we're going up the roller coaster and we have more of a normal in the post to a high and a low. We have yeah. a nice normal stage. Yeah. The amount of people I've recruited, by the way, who have said maybe in their first week, I don't know if this is for me. And I've said, Hey, just see it out three more weeks. You can absolutely find it. Go find you something else after three weeks. And they, I would say 99% of the time they love it after the three weeks.
0: Yeah, because they, they reached the summit, then they got into the valley and they're like, oh, I'm scared. Yeah. It's, Instead it's of just like enjoying the resting. 100%. 100%. So what what have been some of the biggest changes that you've had to deal with or adapt I to?
1: I think one of the biggest things is learning about myself, right? Um, especially if you're a control freak, right. <laughs> which is one of the the biggest things. And I think it's helped me as a recruiter help others make changes. We forget all the things that make us human, our values, our beliefs, our skills, our knowledge, all of those things define every day and everything that we do, they're all wrapped into our routine. And then suddenly that routine changes and your values you while you're, oh, you kind of have to reset. And as we say, bounce back and try and find yourself again. And there's been a massive part of that. Think about it. We didn't change as human beings very often. We couldn't fly abroad. Change is only something that's happened in the humanity <laughs> recently. Yet, if you look at nature, you look at seasons, you can see change everywhere. Yet, we're so bad at it. We know about the amygdala. We know about the anxiety. We know about fear. Sticks the status quo. We feel a sense of threat. I've been coaching people for this for years, but nothing has hit me like it has in the last couple of months to the point of I feel I can understand it more than ever, the feeling of that threat, that feeling of, oh, my gosh. And do you know what's helped? The biggest thing, and I don't want to sound cliche, but it's meditation, having that time to... But for me, meditation means you're nowhere, right? You get to that point when anyone's meditated and then everything just is that kind of numb. Time stops, routine stops, and you just get to sit with you and you get to be. And I genuinely believe that if the world meditated, people wouldn't get so sick. They wouldn't get depressed. Like, I, I'm a massive advocate for it. And I'm a massive advocate for change, despite, I know we're talking about the tough stuff that we go through, but I think there are so many people out there. How many plans have you paid the phrase, better than Debra or, oh, it's not right. Don't fix, Don't fix it, it or, yeah. Even in optimizations, right? You see, yeah. if I, I can imagine now, if Jet were to suddenly make a huge change in sales gravy, people would start to make up stories, things happen, not, people, it sounds great in particular, but it's just what happens in organizations. People need that communication. They need to know exactly what's going on. And change is so necessary to a goal. yet it's one of the things that can also make things go completely bizarre.
0: Yeah, because our, like you said, our amygdala is taking over. We're going into fight or flight. What's going to happen to me based on this change? If you think about in any culture, workforce-wise, Whenever changes are announced, employees have reactions because they're coming from a place of what does this mean to me? What's going to happen to me based on these changes? like How is yes. this going to affect my survival and how is this going to affect my ability to thrive? And that's the first place that they go. You said you learned um, a lot about yourself through this. What did you learn about yourself?
1: Oh, um, She's getting me back now for the other day. (laughs) I think I learned about what's important, right? I think we can often think that things that are maybe a bit more superficial are important, like money, driving around in a nice car. And we're in sales. We're attracted to money. But I think it's really kind of made me look deep within and realize there's nothing wrong with saying, well, you know what? This is... I've got love and that's enough. I know it sounds super cheesy. I sound like the Americans now. <laughs> but the, the love. I just think like the love of your family, the things are more real. And sometimes you see, if you think about people that you've known, lost someone. Have you ever seen it when they've lost someone close and suddenly they become a lot more emotional and they become a lot more loving? Yep. Which is so different to how they used to be. And I think best thing. And I've always lived a bit like this. I have. I've always lived a bit like, well, what if the worst case scenario happens? And I'm actually really happy that I live like that because every day I look at I, my husband, I tell him I love him every day. I tell my kids I love them every day. I Zoom my parents. Like, I think you don't want to wait until it's too late. You want to make sure that you've given every day and your time, every possibility to thrive in a bowl because it's very rare to be alive. The chance of us being alive is like one in a trillion. So you've got to make the most of the real things, not the superficial things. No one's going to remember if I bought a Porsche and I posted it on Instagram. Did you buy a Porsche? Did you buy a Porsche? No, (laughs) I wouldn't. I wouldn't for that very reason. You know what? I would never buy a Porsche. Things I had a great year last year and I refused to buy a nice car. I just refused. I just think you have to think about the important things in life and the love of people around you that you might, they might not be there the next day. And I, I don't mean that in a mortgage way. I mean it in, a, yeah. in an amazing way.
0: And I, you know, what, I I don't think that you didn't know these things. I think that they just came into the spotlight because I know you well enough to know that those things are important to you, but we get into this mode of, and we don't focus on what's important. And like you said, things happen. My, my father passed when I was 22. And that significantly impacted me from a very young age. Of These are the things that are so important to me is, is family. And I struggled in my first marriage because we were not aligned on that. And I knew that it kept going back to this void I felt of we should be living life to the fullest like, I have to be with someone that feels that same way, that every moment matters. And while, like you said, as a salesperson, we're attracted to making money. I've always been very career focused and oriented and success oriented. And we need the money to have the life that we want and to provide for our families. But we can also stop what we're doing and take a look at when's enough. And how do we focus on that so that you're not working so much that you you can't actually stop and appreciate these things? So I think you mentioned something to me about having a framework for change.
1: Yeah, I can do it on you if you like.
0: Okay, I'm afraid, but I always got to try to turn (laughs) the tables on me.
1: Well, there's so many people out there, right, who just don't know whether they should make a change, and I speak to them every day. And people who I can, I can't make a lot, I can't tell them you need to make this change, because I do see what could be better for them out there. Like the job market, I know backwards. I'm a recruiter. I can see if they're basically being taken the piss out of, you. and I still see it daily. People staying in the role. I'm loyal. I mean, the double all that, and I've kind of taken through this process. So the first thing is. And it's a very well-known model by Hyatt, And it's, I don't know if you've heard it, Ad ADCLA. So the A, A, is awareness. So why is it necessary for you to make that change at the moment? Why now? What is it, a bit like the gray model, what is it that has made you think, I need to make this change? And then the D is the desire. So I might say, let's list Good things about making a change. What would be good about making that change? But what would be bad? So, what are the risks involved? Let's talk through that. But then we'll work out a percentage of how much we should go forward with for this change. Maybe there's too many bad things about this change. So, maybe it would be how real are those things? And then there would be K knowledge. Do we have the skills or knowledge that we need to make the change? Right. So bringing my business over here. Did I have that awareness of the market over here to make that change? Have I done the research? Were they at the point where I could? And then the A, considering the knowledge that you might have is the ability. Like you've got to judge the ability. So if I was coaching someone, I might consider what they know. Do they have the ability, the resilience to really make this change? And then the final one, the R, can you get it? car. What's the R, do you think? Mm. test to Gina time.
0: <laughs> Realization.
1: I love that. But it's actually reinforcement, reinforcement, right? So we can all make a change, but how are we going to reinforce it? There's a lot of chant at the moment about bounce-back ability and that meditation could be a way that you reinforce it. It could be that reward. It could be that prompt something that you have every day. But the hardest thing is for me me, and I believe for everyone is that reinforcement in keeping up that change. And that comes down to exactly what I just spoke about and you spoke about that valley, like how to ride through that valley. Because when you first make that change, you're going to have things that are out of your control. The culture will be different. The environment will be different if it's a new workplace. The training might be completely different to what you've done before. And having to change... Your whole beliefs, not easy. Your whole, everything that you've ever done, you're what makes you It's like Gina, if you went to work in the training organization and they said, we don't believe in, in sales calls and you found that last minute, right? You'd have to completely change everything that you'd ever believed in and try and find a way to adapt. And that does happen overnight. You have to reinforce why they are saying that or why it works for them. And for me, it would be meditate on it. Spend 10 Mm -hmm. minutes a day just thinking it through.
0: Yeah. And I, when you, you said, if that were to happen, right, you got to adapt. And then my other mind was like, or you got to abandon, meaning, you know what, maybe you did make the wrong decision with a change. If you made a decision about a change versus a change being put on you, you can adapt to it or you can get out. Yeah. This is something that I talk to a lot when it comes to leadership training And I used to do a lot of customer service training. And when I would work with those employees who didn't like the policies of a company, I would say, you don't have to work here. If you don't like how things are done in this organization, you can leave. And I just coached someone on that who said, just been holding on because I kept thinking things were going to change. And I'm like, they're not. They're not the company is stuck in a status quo and it's most likely not going to change. So you can only change your attitude about it, your viewpoint on it, your actions on it, your reactions on it. So if it's a change that was put upon you, that you didn't, it was not of your volition, right? I would take that adapting and turning it, turn it into abandonment and go do something else.
1: Yeah. And I think there are changes in organizations like takeover or complete change in infrastructure where actually things are handled so badly and there are telltale signs, right? Are you being communicated with? If you're not being communicated with, then naturally people are going to gossip. People are going to think the worst. Every organization should have a direct form of communication. Yes. But I think also there are telltale signs. If you're in a role, and it gets to Sunday, and you are dreading that next day. Yeah. Or you find that you cannot help yourself going to find other people and having a whinge. And that you hate that you're doing it, but you just get some release from it, and it's just so unhealthy. Or if your family is sick of hearing about you yeah. saying how unfair yeah. things are. There are all these tough signs. And I, I, I often say to people, see how it goes another three weeks. You're still feeling like this, and yeah, let's talk about getting you a new opportunity. There's some horror stories out there. I, I, I speak to people all the time and they are so unhappy. They call me every two weeks. And despite me influencing them the best possible way, they just will not leave because they are petrified. They would rather jump up a cliff than leave their role. Well, it's that kind of feeling I get.
0: Yeah. Switch that over a little bit about sales in general, right? We know this, that sometimes we can't get new clients, we can't turn prospects into new clients because of their fear of the change, the fear of the unknown, the fear of working with a new vendor that they haven't worked for, going back to the devil that that feels safer because I at least know how bad it's going to be. Or people who stay in toxic relationships, both personally and professionally, they stay and they can't get out because at least I know what I'm dealing with here. And I don't want to go yeah. to the next thing and not know what I'm dealing with. So how, when it comes to the work that you do, right, for someone to change a job, for example, when do they, you've talked a little bit about this, but when do you really know that you need a change? So for those who are thinking about changing jo- jobs, what should be some of the things that kind of push them other than what you just shared?
1: I think there are signs. So the one the mentioned, we're looking at the clock every day to see what time I'm going to finish, the feeling that you are not being the best version of yourself, the feeling that your company is not bringing the best out to you, the thing that gets you up in the morning that makes you good at what you do, if you're not getting to do that every day, then you know, something's not right. And then if you flip the coin, you might be excellent at what you do, but you might just feel stale. You might just think, do you know what? Like, Doing this on autopilot, you might need that challenge. As human beings, we all need a sense of being challenged. If you were to give up work tomorrow and put your feet up and watch Netflix all day long, right? It might sound like a dream right now, but you know that you quickly need to do something and need to feel challenged. So I I think there's that. I think a big one is the social culture of where you work. I'd say probably the, if I look at all the place in the last year, I would say the majority of it has been something to do with management, which, well, I'm kind of surprised to lots of people, but I can tell you now that organizations about digging with would be surprised that these people were unhappy. They take it on face value that their employees are, are content that they're finding their role because they're not digging deeper. And sometimes it's because they're scared. They're scared to get feedback from their employees. And as a result, they miss something and it's too late. That person's gone and they're about to resign, and there's no going back. Because if they've got a good recruiter like myself, there's no blocking. They will not accept a pound blocker. So there's a lot there.
0: Yeah. And I, I was taught this early on in my career when I was running other people's organizations and having to recruit employees and retain them. And one of my mentors had said to me, when they decide to leave, when they give you a resignation and they tell you they're quitting, you don't counter because they've already made up their mind. Now, some people will, I've seen this happen too. I'm sure you have too. They're ready to leave and then the employees, no, I love you, don't go, here's more money. And it's it's my opinion. I'd love to hear your opinion. Now they're throwing money at a problem because they're afraid for that person to leave and the impact it's gonna have. And they're not actually thinking about the fact that employee was ready to leave and quit and is unhappy, so really- what is their productivity level? Are you going to really win them over with oh, some more money or should you just let them walk away because they've already made their decision to quit you?
1: I think, first of all, it depends on the circumstance. If you've got a top miller who's going to make so much difference to your bottom line, then you're going to be mad to not counter off them, right? You're going to do everything you can to keep that employee. But what I would say with that is shame on you if you have got to that point because... You should have given them the forum to have that conversation. But also, if you are someone who's listening to this and you have stayed for a to offer, then my recommendation would be next time, speak to them first. Because I, I speak to people on a daily basis. We're like, tell me what you've got. Tell me what job I can get. What salary could I get? I'd say, "What? what is it that you're unhappy about? We talk about it. And sometimes it can be something simple, like that promotion that I was supposed to get, I didn't get. So I was like, okay, why didn't you come speak to them? and your boss and find out what it has taken for it to take this job. Like what, what happened. And a lot of them do. And then they say, thank you so much. I'm so happy now with my job and thank you. And they'll come back to me. And you might think, why was she doing that? But I hadn't got a candidate in the first place. If that person's going to get a counter offer down the line, then why waste my time? Just make sure that they have that conversation first. And then if they still come back, then you're placing
0: them. Yeah. And you're not just placing them anywhere. You're pacing somewhere good. Um, um, I i coached a client recently who I, I was coaching her in her career path. And she wanted to start thinking about what that next position was going to be. And we, we talked this out recently. I said, because she's got an internal mentor helping her, kind of coaching her on like things that she could be working on. And I finally said to go, does your boss know that you... Want this promotion into this new in this job opening? I just, well, he knows that I want to advance. He doesn't know about this job in particular, and I'm like, why does he not know? Because he's the one who is going to have the most impact on whether or not you could get that position. So it's a really interesting conversation that. It like it took me a while to even be like, why are you not talking to your your boss who can socialize this further? And and even if you're not qualified for that job, he is going to be the source that is going to provide you with the information of how you get there if you want to get there. And then I shifted into like, how often do you meet one on one with your boss? And she's, well, never really. And I'm like, okay, now the next question, why are you not meeting with your boss on regular one on ones? Well, he says he doesn't want to micromanage me and wants me to be able to not feel micromanaged. And that got me thinking, that's kind of a cop-out from a leadership perspective, in my opinion, of I don't want to micromanage you. I don't want to micromanage either. I want people to be able to do their thing, own it, self-report. I don't want to have to, I shouldn't have to micromanage you, but I still need to m- lead you. Yeah, I support to you. Yeah, and so that I encouraged her. I said, I think you need to go back to him and request one-on-ones, even if it's every other week. And I'm just concerned he's going to say, "I don't want to micromanage you." Then I said, "Then you say to him, I don't need you to micromanage me. I just want to be able to check in with you, get feedback from you, get some mentoring from you, and position it that way." And I think sometimes leaders use that as an excuse because it really translates into, "I'm too busy." And it's not that they don't want to micromanage, they don't want to manage, period. There's
1: a lot of that around. And sometimes you end up with employees who then put their manager's wishes for their own. And they think, well, I don't want to be a pest. So I don't want to be needy. And it gets to the point where their needs aren't being met. And your needs are the most important thing. Like we always say, you're working with people more often than you'll see your family, most part. So we have to. you have to put that first. But I think there's an element of just making sure that you're writing down your values. What are my needs, right? What are my needs in this situation? And are they being met in the same way that if you are looking for that next role, you are looking for that change, you don't want to make a knee-jerk reaction. You want to make that prescription. What's important to me? What gets me up in the morning? What makes me Gina Chimarko-Glada? What makes me Susanna Gray-Jones? And what will make me happy in the long run? And research speak to people. If, if you see on LinkedIn, people in the company, I've had people who've done this. So they contact them saying, Hey, so I'm interviewing for a role. If you can obviously, yeah, it's, I've you know, done that.
0: I've done yeah. that.
1: What's it like working here off the record? Because you want to uncover any skeleton before it's too late. And then you might feel that you are in a tricky situation.
0: I like what you said about making the list, right? Again, this is like a life hack in my opinion. When I was unhappy in my marriage or when I've been unhappy in a job, right? Because that's its own marriage. I would go back and sit down and write down the things of, what do I hate about this relationship, whether it's work or marriage? And then I'm like, what do I really want? And I did that. I, I wrote down the things that I really wanted in my marriage that I didn't have. And so when I was out of that, Right. Then I had this like shopping list. So these are all the things required for me to be in this happy relationship. And I got it. I got it. I, be- remember. I remember. Right. I, was I remember spe- that list. And I was very specific. I, I had a very, There were very specific. So when we talk about having goals, we need very specific goals. Not that I want a promotion or not that I want to make X amount of dollars more. Get granular with it. Like my granular on my My husband list, my future husband list were things like a man who is into watching sports. I know that sounds crazy, but for some reason, that was something important to me. Don't know why. I just kind of put that down of like those things that were important or a man who it doesn't really matter what his education is, but he is dedicated and focused to something like that he is going to commit to something and then he puts his all into something, right? So those were like really important things to me.
1: But you have to measure them, right? So you might say, I want a man who is really interested in watching sport. And like I said, okay, Gina, so I've got a man who's interested in watching sport. He also flies up the handle really quickly, right? Sometimes. So now is that as important to you or is the other one? And it's the same with Roles, right? Exactly. I want progression. progression. Okay. You're going to take 10K less on your salary a year to get progression in this company.
0: Yeah. So you're going to have the non negotiables, right? So if you really whittle down, this is where I think you got to really whittle down the list of what's non negotiable. I need X amount of dollars, won't go underneath that. I need a culture that behaves this way, not going to change, even if the money is higher. Right. And you got to keep that in focus of not letting a certain thing like more money take over because I've had those scenarios where I I almost went into another company because the money was twice the amount. But then the culture was not a culture that I was going to work well in. So I'm like, I'm going to walk away from that money because it's not going to be healthy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then the amount of times that people, they get that list and they often still say, oh, but maybe I'd have to through myself again. Be so difficult having to show people what I can be good at again. And I always say, what? Back yourself. Run towards the fear. Just go. Deal with the lack of control afterwards. And there's a wonderful quote here. If individuals see change as opportunity, they will see the world differently. And it's completely true. I truly believe nothing's irreversible. If I hated Dubai and I wanted to move back, I could move back. If You've got that new role and you took that risk, but you would regret not trying. And you never want to think, you know what? I'm going to be on my deathbed. Why didn't I try? Why didn't I emigrate? Why didn't I try a new role? Why didn't I start my own business? Because it's from failure that, as Gina always says, and I completely agree, it's from failure that we pick up and we become the humans that we are meant to be. Yeah, it's
0: from failure you win, right? This is the way we win is from the failure. I think about preparation for change. And I'm sure you did some preparation for change because I think about the time that I, in some ways, emigrated to South Carolina because it was like another country for me. But coming from a city like Chicago uh, in the northern part of the United States, going to South Carolina in the South, very different, very different culture. And there was a lot of fear in making that change at the time in my life, the age that I was at, that I'm like, all right, I went through all these things of what if this happens? What if this happens? What if this mm-hmm. happens? What if this happens? And I did do a little preparation. So I think preparation is helpful because I'm like, all right, if all else fails, what will I do? What will my backup mm-hmm. plan be? And some of that actually came to fruition. So I don't want to say I manifested it, but the economy crashed in 2008 right after I had emigrated, so to speak. And no matter what, all the preparation I had done wasn't really going to help me with that financial crash that I had no control over. But in some ways, the preparation helped me emotionally of what would I do if this didn't work out? So any thoughts on that, that you put any thought into preparing for change? It's, um, what's that book called, Rich Dad, Poor Dad,
1: when he says, if you can't afford something, you don't want to ever say to your kids, oh, I'm sorry, we haven't got the money, we can't get that. And he says, you've got to have the, the words of, well, how can we do that? How can we do that? When it comes to preparing for, and I've always been a big believer in, I'll think, well, how can I make that? Money? I spend a lot of time thinking about it, so I'm always prepared. But I think when you're preparing for something, you should never, you should always give yourself, I think if it's a huge move, like the one I've done, you give yourself two, three months, right? To at least think everything because we thought of everything and we were due to go and we like my daughter's passport was six months out of date. So we had to spend an extra two grand flying a week later and shuffling around for transport. So stress management is what I'm about to say. So. The stress, they say the three most stressful things in life are emigrating, what is it, divorce, and what's the other one? don't remember. I don't know. So the stress that comes with these changes and the stress that comes with any change is something that you need to be able to self-regulate and self-manage. And what I see a lot of people doing, especially when it's a huge change, whether it's been losing someone or something, they self-medicate, right? And then it becomes a vicious circle. So I like to admit that and I like to think if you know something big is going to happen in your life, then you want to self-medicate in a positive way and going to the gym, finding a way to get into a really healthy habit where you have that time to think about it and raises and dolphins and something that's just for you. I quit. I didn't even work for two days a week, right? I'm lucky that I I don't have to, but like I needed that time just to give to myself nothing where I just did what I needed to do. And I, I think everyone needs to sort of have a bit of calm before the storm. If ever that was a true phrase, i would say it would be now. If you're making a change, have some calm before the storm.
0: Awesome. Thank you for that. So, preparing for change is helpful. I love the framework that you shared. I may play with that framework and adapt it a little bit. Do it. I Do it. It.
1: And that anything the politics, right?
0: Reframing, you always talk about
1: politics when these things happen, finding a way to grade the differently. And you can actually do a lot of that if you go on Gina's course, which I know she talks about it a lot. <laughs> which which one? Which course? Which course? Which well, course. you could say it internally if I'm thinking, oh, yes, but, you know, I'm a yes, yeah, right. Well, yes, and what else can I do?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, is, it, it is about shifting it. Instead of going into what I can't do, it's what can I do? What is the can yeah. versus the can't? These things could go wrong when I make this change and here's what could go right. So we often focus on what's going to go wrong. We often focus on the negativity bias of it. Even with, I talk a lot about giving feedback to people. I talked about this a little bit in my new course, Selling with Confidence, of we often hear constructive criticism as a phrase. And I'm like, why not say constructive feedback, right? Because feedback to me sounds way more positive than criticism, because criticism is often based on someone's opinion. right? So here's some feedback. So if we just yes, kinda, if we kind of just twist it and talk about the things that could go right, then we get more excited about it. And then we show up differently. Of Oh, I'm so excited. Like you were talking about the waking up in the morning. And if you're not excited to go to work, that should be a red flag. And I want to touch on the one more kind of red flag that you brought up of needing change is if you're like kind of feeling in a funk because you're doing the same thing over and over again, my only comment on that, and this just came to me recently in reading the book Mastery by Robert Greene, is that sometimes you have to be okay with doing the same thing over and over again because that's where you are mastering something. And we often feel like, oh gosh, I need the next thing. I need to do the next thing. I need to have the next skill and bullet point on my resume versus, you know what? if I just stay focused and stay in my lane on this one thing, while it feels boring, yeah, you're yeah. going to actually become more skilled at it, which is going to create more value for you later. So uh, that was an aha for me. I'm like, I just need to value the boredom, value yeah, yeah. value the f- fact that I'm doing the same thing over and over again and actually getting better at it.
1: So true. And I think even going to school, with my kids this morning, they said, something about you have to forget something in order to really learn it. So you have to. It's part of reaffirming something to forget it and to keep going back. That's part of the process. Don't beat yourself up when you do forget it.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Well, it has been fabulous having you back on the show, especially so that people know I did not kill you off. And I missed you. And I Well, it's not like we
1: haven't been speaking, hey? So... <laughs>
0: It's just been. I miss miss podcasting. I miss podcasting with you, too. And it's part of the challenge was the time zone got even larger between us. It went from a five hour difference to an eight hour difference. And it's just a challenge for us to sync up so we can talk on WhatsApp all day long. I love actually talking to you on WhatsApp at certain times a day because I'm like, oh, it's 1 a.m. right now in Dubai. And I know she's having a glass of wine during this conversation. (laughs)
1: And make me sound like an alcoholic. Do you know what? One of the things I love actually about here is you have to get a license to drink. So well, we've had very little alcohol and it's
0: You have to get a drink. license to drink?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a Middle Eastern country. So you can go to hotels and stuff. But you know, I you don't notice sometimes how clean they make you feel without alcohol. If you get used to it, even like even now you hey. go weeks. I haven't had a drink in a long time and I feel great. So I saw mothers bring alcohol
0: in it. Well, there is a lot to be there is a lot to be said about that because we often can get into drinking from a social perspective. My drinking cut down tremendously when I started dating my husband because he does not drink. And yeah, so there's that. And there's that. And then you just end up feeling way better because or because you don't drink that often. After two drinks, you're like, woo, I've had enough.
1: Yeah, or the amount of water that you drink I every mean, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. So I add that's nothing I'd say. Add that meditation water, just drink lots of water, hydrate yourself. You okay, good. All right. We're- Can I just say, well done, GNF, yeah. for not taking the mick out of my English accent today?
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're so welcome. You. I thought I would be nice. <laughs> I thought I would be nice to you today. So I thought I would be nice. Hey, if people want to get a hold of you and listen to your amazing podcast, what are the best ways to connect with you and work with you and hear your podcast?
1: Awesome. You can Instagram me on at Susanna Search. I have, if you missed me, I have my own podcast that still stick, stick with Gina. Gina's coming on my podcast. It's called The Counter Offer and that's all things based recruitment. And get me on LinkedIn, Susanna Great Downs.
0: Awesome. And we'll include that information in the show notes, especially since we share a producer so he knows all the things about you to include in the show notes. So lovely having you here. And I will try not to do your accent. Well
1: done, I gave. <laughs> See how hard you tried. Yeah. That's uh,
0: Okay. Hey, Warners, thank you for listening to this episode of the Women Your Mother You About. Brought to you by a sales gravy and a salesgravy.university check that out for all the most fabulous courses that we have both live and on demand and if you want to learn more about this show or catch a previous episode go to the women Your Mother you about.com. that's women Your Mother you about.com. and now these episodes are also available on YouTube so when you go to the podcast website just scroll down to the bottom and click on the YouTube icon and you could watch us in action which is way more fun and we will see you next time.